Hello and welcome to episode number 540 of Holy Crap It's Sports. I'm Pete Davis, your host, coming to you semi-live from the warm banks of the Etowah River in lovely Cherokee County. It's a cold, drizzly day here in North Atlanta. I hope everybody's having a good uh, week so far. We're in the middle of the week on a Wednesday. Uh, got some sad news we're going to talk about in just a second here. Uh, we'll talk about all kinds of good stuff. It's February 15th, the day after Valentine's Day of 2023. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Pete Davis one uh, You can be a patron of the show if you think it's worth supporting. Uh, Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Just look up Holy Crabbit Sports. Or always you can look us up on Venmo or something like that. If you want a t-shirt, farmhouseprintingco.com has all your t-shirt and printing needs. And uh, did I tell you if you could write me at Pete Davis one at yahoo.com? I think I did. Otherwise, here we go. Uh, before we do the headlines and everything, just found out, we just finished doing the Kimmer Show an hour and a half ago. And uh, this broke just as I was putting together uh, this show. Uh, that the one of the most beautiful women in the world. I mean, we're talking about a woman I've had a crush on since the 70s. Raquel Welch has passed away. She was 82 after a brief illness. My God, that was a beautiful woman. Holy cow. But some good movies, too. Fantastic Voyage was a good movie. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones she was in. I, the One Million B.C. was kind of silly, but it made her a star. And she was in a bunch of good stuff. She was a pretty good actress. I think she won a Golden Globe. She was funny as hell in the four Mus- the Three Musketeers and Four Musketeers. I don't know if she was in both of them. Uh, back in the seventies, with Michael York as D'Artagnan and Oliver. Gosh, I remember his name is uh, Athos. Athos, the hard drinking uh, English actor, Oliver something, and a couple other guys, Frank something, and uh, Richard Chamberlain as uh, Aramis. And the guy, Frank Finley, I think was his name, was uh, this is Aramis, Athos, and Porthos. And, of course, D'Artagnan. They're funny movies. But Raquel Welch has passed away, and that's such a shame. That woman was beautiful well into her 70s. Uh, just amazing. He kept up. She was uh, from San Diego. I think she was discovered on the beach there or something. She was walking around in a bikini. Back in the 60s, yowza. Anyway, headlines for, uh, God rest her soul, headlines for Wednesday, February 15th, uh, the post-Valentine's Day chocolate hangover or the half-off chocolate day at the grocery store, so get yours. Uh, will Mike Bobo make a good replacement for Todd Monken? There's uh, one person who thinks he will be, uh, even though Georgia fans don't seem to be fired up about this. Uh, Florida really doesn't like you fans rushing the field or throwing things, and they're doing something about it. A freak Nick mention on ESPN. Uh, former Falcon uh, Calvin Ridley is back, kind of. A feud has emerged between a Chiefs and an Eagles player. What did Super Bowl winning coach Andy Reid eat to celebrate? And Patrick Mahomes has a strange and disgusting superstition. By the way, Chiefs defensive end Chris Jones almost fell off the bus today during their parade. Uh, can you just smell it? Pitchers and catchers reporting today. And once again, the Braves are disrespected in the annual predictions. And we'll talk about the new rules of baseball that have come down. There's some interesting stuff happening. Hopefully, I don't forget doing that. Jason Stark was on with uh, Nick Cellini and, and uh, Chris Domino when I was driving in to do the Kimmer Show. And uh, he said some very interesting things about the new rules that I had not thought of. So, and of course, that's what Jason Stark does. He's so good. Bad news for the Yankees on day one of spring training. MLB TV has some new features for you this season. I, know I have the MLB radio app, and it's fantastic. My grandmother would have loved that. I've never really done the TV thing because there's so many games on television. MLB Network, uh, you know, Braves games, uh, ESPN, whatever. But I may look at it this year. We'll see. Michael Jordan celebrates his 60th birthday in the best way possible. He's helping others. And we celebrate the life of the great P.J. O'Rourke on the first anniversary of his death. P.J. liked a good sporting event. Probably not as much as most of us, but he he's one of the great satirists. Uh, our Mark Twain, our Will Rogers, basically, him and uh, him and several others, Dennis Miller and such. Uh, we got Pete's tweets this day in sports history, birthdays. Today we are drinking uh, something from the past. A few of you might remember Burgermeister beer. Mm-hmm. That's right, Burgermeister beer. Did I tell you I found the, yeah, I think I did, that I found a non-alcoholic Guinness stout. <sighs> Uh, college football. Let's start with college football. Adam Spencer of Saturday Down South has a story about former Georgia coach Mark Richt, 
who is commenting on Mike Bobo becoming the new offensive coordinator at UGA. Now, Rick took over as Georgia's head coach back in 2001, and he had the former uh, Georgia quarterback Bobo with him almost every step of the way he was there. Rick was the head of the Georgia program from 01 to 2015. Bobo was there from 01 to 14. Georgia's QB coach from 01 to 06, and then added the title of OC from 07 to 14. Now, Bobo is back in Athens as the new offensive coordinator under Kirby Smart. Mixed reactions so far from the fans, but Mark Rick spoke to DogNation.com, said he's happy for Georgia fans regarding the hiring of Bobo. Quote, I love Mike. He's a great person and great coach. I'm really happy for him and the Bulldog Nation, end quote. He went on to explain that Bobo's year spent under Todd Monk in, uh, in 2022 as the offensive analyst is going to make the transition to OC even smoother. It's the thing that makes a lot of sense because no question it makes the transition easier. One of the toughest things to do when you transition staff is get new people in and especially a new coordinator. Uh, let's see. It's hard to keep the continuity of your system. When you have someone in there as an analyst, they know the system and understand the terminology. Now, there can be a learning curve for the players when you bring someone new in, but when your coordinator understands the terminology and the reasons behind everything, it makes the transition much cleaner. All right. Uh, now, my biggest memory of Mike Bobo is kind of a weird one. Uh, sitting in a very bizarre diner. It's not there anymore. I forget. It's probably a Chinese restaurant now off Scott Boulevard in Decatur. This is back when Bobo was playing, and it was a night game, a rare game at night over in Oxford where Georgia was playing Ole Miss. And I remember listening to the game in the car as we were driving around, and the Rebels broke Bobo's leg into the season that year. And we pulled into the diner and uh, sat there, and we were talking about this. And it was a kind of diner that had phones in the booths. So you could pick up the phone which was great for drunk dialing, and just call people and harass them or call your friends or whatever while you're sitting in a booth. Now, of course, this was before cell phones, even before flip phones. It was just a bizarre memory to have for Mike Bobo, but there it is. Saturday Down South also has a story about lawmakers down in Florida. They're working on bills to create criminal penalties for you fans who rush the field or a court at uh, the arena and the, at the gridiron. There are two newly introduced bills in the Florida legislature. One would make it a first-degree misdemeanor, which carries up to a year in jail and fines up to 2500 if someone enters a covered area in a stadium or venue, defined as any area designated for use by the players, coaches, officials, performers, or personnel. The bill also applies the same penalties to those who drop, toss, or throw any substance, object, or dangerous instrument into the covered area or at anyone in the area. And that means if you throw not just your beer can or your beer bottle or your beer cup, if you pour beer on somebody, they're going to get you as if you had thrown a bottle. Quite interesting. Reminds me of the old Daryl Royal when he was a quarterback at Oklahoma and they were playing Texas. Ironically, he would become the great legendary Texas coach. That uh, there was a bad call in the field and the either Oklahoma or Te the Texas fans were throwing throwing bottles back then you could have whole whiskey bottles i guess they were throwing coke cans really or coke bottles and daryl royal says i went to i basically i went to midfield and i hid behind my offensive lineman because i figured if any of those uh longhorn fans could throw that coke bottle all the way to midfield when they deserved to hit me but anyway uh let's see what else we got here with it i also a person who strikes, slaps, or kicks anybody while in the covered area will also face the penalties. Uh, I like some of that idea. I really do. I, I don't. Anyone who throws something should be banned permanently. I don't care if you're drunk. You throw something, you could you could kill somebody. You could take an eye out. You could you could end someone's career. And uh, you start throwing things. I, as someone who's on the sidelines for five years with the Falcons, I was only hit once. Uh, by a coin thrown in Cleveland by a Browns fan because we were, it was so low the front row that we were kind of blocking their view, uh, and they kind of threw something and, and hit me and turned around. And I looked at the guy and I go, really? <laughs> you know, we were laughing. It didn't hurt, but you could kill somebody if you're throwing it from the upper deck. That that debacle a year or two was it a year or two ago in Knoxville when Ole Miss played Tennessee and the the Vols fans started throwing stuff, that could really have gotten people killed there. Anyway, if the laws are passed in Florida, it will take effect October 1st. 
So it'll get uh, most of the um, basketball and football seasons uh, coming up this fall. We'll see if it passes. NFL news, Jaguars wide receiver Kelvin Ridley has applied to the NFL to be reinstated from his indefinite suspension for gambling. Uh, Let's see, ESPN reporting this. Today is the first day Ridley was eligible to apply for reinstatement. Commish uh, Roger Goodell is going to review the petition and determine. Now, the Jags traded for Ridley back on November 1st last year and sent the Falcons a 2023 fifth-round pick. And uh, that could rise as high as a second round if the Jags sign Ridley to an extension. Should he be reinstated, Calvin would be paid a guaranteed $11.1 million this year as the fifth-year option from the rookie deal he signed with the Falcons, drafted 26th overall in 2018. Uh, Ridley has not played in an NFL game since October 24th to 21. He left the Falcons seven days later and said in a statement he needed to step away from football at this time and focus on my mental well-being. Bullshit. Uh, He was suspended for at least the 22 season on March 7th after investigation found that he bet on games over a five-day stretch in November while he was away from the Falcons. I guess that's how he got his mental illness worked out. Uh, Let's see. they, They said he placed parlay bets, included the Falcons to win via his mobile device while he was out of state. I think he was down in Florida. In a series of tweets after the suspension was announced, Ridley admitted his bets totaled $1,500, but said he does not have a gambling problem. Okay, you stepped away from your NFL team. You're supposed to be getting your mind together, uh, but you're going to make some bets? I think you got a problem. But anyway, it's his problem, not mine. Uh, Ryan Clark, entertaining guy, was on ESPN yesterday and was asked about Aaron Rodgers. Ryan replied, quote, something paraphrasing when Aaron spoke about going to a darkness retreat I thought he was going to freak Nick end quote if you had freak Nick being mentioned on ESPN yesterday morning on sports center just place your little thing there on that uh and file it under things only a black person can say on national television imagine if Dan Orvlosky have said that more on him in a little bit, too. I still have my Freaknik shirt, by the way. I bought back in the 90s at a gas station parking lot off Moreland Avenue. And yes, it was in the middle of the day. I guarantee. It's a, it's a t-shirt that I cannot wear in public. Let's put it that way. Uh, meanwhile, Chiefs receiver Juju Smith-Schuster has ruffled some feathers with a cold-blooded shot at Eagles cornerback James Bradbury on Twitter yesterday. The Valentine's Day-themed roast drew an even harsher response from Eagles receiver A.J. Brown, former Rebel, who came to the defense of his Philly teammate. Now, there's two ways of looking at this. One, that Schuster was just having a little fun. It was Valentine's Day. Yesterday, I had fun. I posted, if you follow me, I posted the Dr. Fauci meme for Valentine's Day. And I'm sure if you're a Fauci fan, you probably get upset about that. Well, Schuster, I'll give him a little benefit of the doubt today. Everyone, frankly, a lot of people think he's just a little bitch. Uh, around the NFL, but I'll give them the benefit. It was a joke on Valentine's Day. Maybe a little too close to the Super Bowl win, but we'll see. So anyway, A.J. Brown dropped the hammer, referring to the Kansas City whiteout as, quote, TikTok boy, end quote, and called his showboating lame. He began his tweet by congratulating Smith Schuster and Kansas City on their Super Bowl win, but did not hesitate to defend Bradbury. In addition to lambasting Smith-Schuster's Twitter post, Brown savagely claimed that Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes had resurrected Juju's career. <laughs> now, it all started, in fact, it was he basically posted a photo of Bradbury in his Eagles jersey, and it said, I'll hold you when it matters most. Well, frankly, it's kind of funny. Uh, so A.J. Brown fired back. It, by the way, you can follow him at 1K Always Open. <laughs> He's always open. First off, congratulations. Y'all deserve it. This is lame. You was on the way out of the league before Mahomes resurrected your career on your one-year deal. TikTok boy. He admitted that he grabbed you, but don't act like that or ever was. Congratulations again. He needs to work on his English there. Uh, Formerly for the Steelers, Juju left Pittsburgh, joined the Chiefs on a one-year deal uh, a while back. He had seven catches for 53 yards in the Super Bowl. By the way, the two teams, Chiefs and Eagles, will square off uh, in the upcoming NFL season. So this will be continued. Take a little shot of the old Burgermeister beer. (laughs) 
And if you didn't know, show note, we did the Kimmer Show today, Wednesday, instead of Thursday, because Flounder's going off on a little vacation to Florida. That's why. Uh, most fans thought Kansas City head coach Andy Reid would celebrate his second Super Bowl win with a big old cheeseburger, because he likes them. And in fact, the team got him one for Christmas. Pretty cheap, I'd say. But Andy said, quote, yeah, I went to Pizza 51 in KC. I got a mushroom and sausage pizza. How about that? And a salad just to make my chubbiness feel good. End quote. By the way, Terry Bradshaw catching a lot of crap, and justifiably so, for his um, asides during the post-game celebration interviews. First thing he said was, come on, Andy, waddle over here. A lot of people took offense to that, and frankly, I thought it was classless. And I like Terry Bradshaw, but that was classless. Uh, newly retired backup quarterback Chad Henney, he's uh, hanging him up. Pretty good backup. Says that Mahomes has a weird superstition. Patrick has worn the same pair of red underwear for every game since he became the starter for the Chiefs. He's been playing a few years now. Uh, the same pair. Even if you only wear them once a week for 16 weeks a year, uh, and you're, it's not like you're just walking to this grocery store with it. You're playing a football game in it. And it's like that State Farm commercial where the trainer never washes Patrick's practice jersey. And the stench knocks a young fan unconscious. It's a funny commercial. Anyway, uh, once again, mullets are coming back if you watch those commercials. Uh, Major League Baseball. Let's get to Major League Baseball. In fact, let's cut over right now. Before I, I don't want to forget this. Let me hit this and then flick back. I was, Like I said earlier, I was listening to a 680 The Fan, and Cellini and Domino had Jason Stark on. And it was a great baseball conversation. And Jason was talking about... When I tuned in, he was already talking. The new rule about throwing to first base. We didn't really cover that Monday. We covered the pitch clock, but not this. You can only throw over there twice. If you throw a third time, if you don't get him, he gets second base. So you've got to do it. And they were asking, well, what, what does this do in the, in the minor leagues? What did it do? And, of course, Stark says all the new rules had an adjustment period for several weeks in minor leagues and then it kind of you know balanced out and the players got used to it but what he said is that players were still being picked off at first and here's the the weirdness because once you've thrown over there twice the first base runner gets an amazingly hellacious long lead because he knows if you throw over there again and don't get him he gets second base without having to steal it he has to crash back in the first but it's basically Almost, he's, he's going to take the big lead no matter what because the pitcher, and of course the pitcher's going to look over there and go, I can get him this time because he's taking that ridiculously long lead. But what Jason pointed out was maybe we're going to see more steals of home because if there's a runner on third, he knows the pitcher is looking at that guy at first with that long lead. He's going to be worried about him. And he probably thinks that he's, of course he's going to throw over there. And if he starts to throw over there and he has an exaggerated throw to first, that third guy, that guy on third is going to take off for home. That's what Jason Stark says. That's one way to look at it. Uh, also, he says, of course, they've changed the rules about the shift. You can no longer have the third baseman go over and stand next a few feet away from the second baseman out in right field. You can't do that anymore. Stay on the infield. I don't think you could do that. So you're taking away that extra infielder in the shift. But Jason says there's nothing against having two outfielders. Say you got a left-handed hitter. You have a left-handed hitter. Uh, and uh, he's liable to pull the ball like a Brian McCann, as they pointed out. Okay? Uh, you could take your left fielder and put him over there as in like the, uh, the softball position, what do they call it, the rover or whatever, and put him over there. Don't put the third baseman over there. Put the left fielder over there. And Jason says, well, that'll be great because if you bloop one down the left field line, it's an inside the park homer, and that's exciting. So that's another thing to look at there. Uh, and also, not just the pitchers have the 15-second pitch count, but the batter must be in the batter's box and focused on the pitcher with seven seconds to go in that clock. That is something that has not been talked about much because Jason Stark believes that's going to cause a lot of controversy. It's going to cause a lot of people to be mad because he says it's come down from the commissioner that he doesn't care if it's Bryce Harper or it's Pepe Frias back on the playing field. The umpire will call it as a strike if he's not in there and ready with seven seconds to go on the pitch clock. 
Doesn't care if it's a superstar or a utility infielder brought up from the minor leagues just for that at bat. Another thing is, sorry, I'm going to check the check the uh, computer here, make sure it's working. Oh yeah, it's working. He also says that this is going to be a sea change for the batters because f- since they were kids, they've done their certain little routine. The no more Garcia para. Uh, I got to adjust everything, including my crotch. BS. And my my thing is, am I supposed to feel sorry for them? No. Get your ass in the batter's box and get ready to swing the bat. Good. I, I have no problem. I'm so tired of watching these guys after every bat step out and adjust everything they have on them. Get your butt in there. And now, of course, uh, Angel Hernandez's name came up. <laughs> that, of course, he's going to make this all about him. But they say even if it's a third strike, the umpires will call it. Even if it ends the inning, even if it ends the game, we'll see if they have the balls to do that. Because if enough people start caterwauling, because in the past, you know, they put down these rules and the superstars bitched about it. And next thing you know, they were, you know, some of the big stars were getting a little more leeway than others were. So we'll see if that goes on. But that's just some of the things uh, talked about by Jason Stark on 680 The Fan today. And uh, I got to uh, listen to that a little bit. Anyway, spring training began for the Braves today. Pitchers and catchers officially reported. Uh, even though the first full squad workout will not happen until next Tuesday, I think the first spring training game is the 25th. Most of the gang is already there. Let's see. We got Ronald Acuna Jr., Ozzy Albies, Austin Riley, Matt Olson, and Michael Harris II are among the position players who have made the early arrivals. Think about this. If you were one of those guys and you're an established star like all those guys are, would you have shown up early? You can tell they're raring to go. Uh, Bad news for the Yankees on day one. Frankie Montas has to have shoulder surgery. He could miss most or all of the season. Uh, Let's see. The right-hander is going to have a shoulder surgery February 21st. May come back in the second half of the season. He's 29 they got him from Oakland in August. He went 1-3 with a 6.35 earned run average and eight starts for the Yanks. Did not pitch after September 16th due to inflammation in that shoulder. And boy, I bet they wish they had gone in and, and, and done the operation last October instead of waiting until uh, now because he could have definitely been back by the All-Star break then. Uh, it's February, so it's time once again for the so-called baseball experts to not pick the Braves to win the National League East Division. It's like clockwork. Only Robert Reich has a worse record in predictions, and he's an economist. Uh, Pakoda, not Bill Pakoda, <laughs> but Pakoda projects the Mets to win the NL East. Oh, what is this, the 25th straight year of them doing that? I, I don't know. Anyway, Baseball Prospectus has released their Pakota projections. Their algorithm is bullish on the Metropolitans, of course. Always got to kiss up to the Gotham City crowd. Because if you say something bad about them, the thinnest skin fans in the world are going to get upset. Only New York, baby. Listen, if you got to go around telling everybody you're the greatest city in the world, you're not really the greatest city in the world, now are you? But anyway, uh, the model projects the Mets to win 95.8 games. <laughs> Good luck on that, 0.8. That's five games clear of the Braves, who are scheduled to win 90.6, and six of the Phillies, who are at 89.8. Mets are third overall and second in the National League in win total, behind only the Yankees at 97.9 and the Dodgers 96.1. Mets have a 95% chance of making the playoffs, 57, almost 58% chance of winning their first division title since 2015. The Braves only have a 23% chance of winning the East for the sixth straight time, which is still above the Phillies, who are at 18%, and the Marlins at 2%. The Nationals have, get this, a 0.0% chance of winning the National East. (laughs) Pakoda also thinks New York has an excellent chance of winning the World Series. Of course they do. It gives them a 13% chance of becoming champions, which is higher than the Dodgers, that is 12%, and trailing only the Yankees at 17%. The model gives the Bravos just a 5% chance of winning the Fall Classic, the Phillies at 4%, the Marlins at 0.6. All right, then. MLB TV is back with a big new feature. I've always had the radio, but not the TV app. Now, all MLB TV subscribers will have access to minor league baseball included as part of their subscription which means more live baseball than ever before 
Let's see, you can watch more than 7,000 streamed games for affiliates of all 30 clubs, including all 60 AAA and AA clubs, plus home games from more than 40 additional clubs and select postseason games from the First Pitch app. So there. Um, I was going to say something about this. Let's see, minor league, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I should have said it then when I was thinking about it because now I've pulled a camera and I've completely mind erased what the hell I was going to talk about that. Minor league, can watch all 7,000. Oh, that's what I can mention. Someone went on Twitter yesterday and said that if you, and, and it's for a short time, you got to do it quick. And they did it last year. If you give like 25 bucks to a charity that MLB is backing, that they, they tell you which one it is, that you get a, a, a good knockoff off the MLB TV app. And the person said, you got to do it quick because they, they went quick last year. So I don't know. We'll see. NBA news. Six-time champion Michael Jordan is celebrating his 60th birthday uh, on Friday by making a $10 million donation to Make-A-Wish. Uh, it's the largest donation ever received from an individual in the organization's 43-year history. Jordan's hope is his decision will celebrate to his birthday by donating a Make-A-Wish will to inspire others. Of course, it helps uh, make wishes of kids to come true. He said, for the past 34 years, it's been an honor to partner with Make-A-Wish and help bring a smile and happiness to so many kids. Witnessing their strength and resilience during such a tough time in their lives has truly been an inspiration. Of course, these children are going through cancer or, or whatever they're going through. And uh, a lot of them, it's, for it's terminal. So... Maybe all of them, frankly. Jordan, of course, is the owner of the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, let's see. He's granted hundreds of wishes to children all over the world. He's one of the most requested celebrity wish granters. He could probably do it every day if he wanted to. Uh, he was named the ambassador back in 2008. So good for him. Good for Michael Jordan. Sometimes you don't get a lot of good press about Michael, this or that. People are griping about him. He's the greatest ever. Um, but... I am glad he's getting some press there. On this day for February 15th in sports history, 1932, as a member of the gold medal winning U.S. four-man Bob Slay team at Lake Placid, New York, Eddie Egan, who won the boxing gold at Antwerp, Netherlands, and Antwerp, Belgium, I guess, in 1920. Is Antwerp in Belgium or the Netherlands? Well, it's got to be the Netherlands because we all know that Belgium does not exist. Antwerp, Belgium, Antwerp. Okay, hold on a second. I'm going to look this one up. Uh, Siri, where is Antwerp? Uh, no, not in Ohio. You dumb. Uh, Siri, where is Antwerp in the Netherlands? Netherlands. That no. I'm gonna look at the map here. That doesn't say where the hell it is. Come on, man. Who cares? All right, I, I give up. I give up. I'm just totally go away. I don't care. Anyway, Eddie Egan became the only Olympian to win gold medals at both summer and winter games in different sports. He was a boxer and a bobslayer. Not a bobsledder, a bobslayer. 1976, the 18th Daytona 500. This is a famous one. David Pearson made contact with Richard Petty just yards from the finish line into a wall and to the infield. Petty stalls whilst Pearson restarts to win. Uh, you can go back and watch that. That was a good one. 1978, Leon Spinks beats Muhammad Ali in 15 rounds for the heavyweight boxing title. Uh, 1981, the uh, Daytona 500, Richard Petty won his second, sorry, his record seventh title, beating Bobby Allison to the line by three and a half seconds there at Daytona. Let's see, 1987, uh, let's see, 1982 Masters champion Craig Stadler, the Walrus is disqualified from the Andy Williams Open for kneeling on a towel to make a shot. Hmm. 1987, Daytona 500, Bill Elliott, awesome Bill from Dawsonville, leads for 104 of 200 laps, including the last three. He had won the pole with a record speed of 210-plus miles per hour. 1996, American boxer Tommy Morrison, a left-hander, announces he has contracted HIV. He later dies. I don't know if that's what got him. He had a rough and tumble life, but he was in one of the Rocky movies, the one that I think people hate the most. I actually enjoyed it, 
but he played a boxer that Rocky trains, and then Rocky comes out of retirement to play to box him or something. I forget why. 1996, NFL coaching maestro Bill Belichick is fired by Cleveland. He finished his Browns career with a record of 36 and 44. 1998, the Daytona. Dale Earnhardt's only Daytona win in his 20th start snapped a 59-race winless streak. 2004, Daytona 500. Dale Earnhardt Jr. wins exactly six years to today after his father, Sr., won his first and only Daytona. In 2009, uh, the 51st Daytona 500, Matt Kenseth wins the shortened race, called off after 48 la- with 48 laps to go after a severe rainstorm hits the track. Birthdays for February 15th, 1897, Earl Blake, B-L-A-I-K, football player and coach, College Football Hall of Fame coach, born in Detroit, Michigan, died in 1989. I think he was a coach at Army. Isn't that what Blake Field is named after, Blake Stadium? Still want to go see a game up there. 1900, George Earnshaw was born. He was a baseball pitcher, won World Series in 1929 and 30 with the Philadelphia Athletics, was born in Little Rock, died in 1976. 1929, Fred Martinelli was born, College Football Hall of Fame coach at Ashland University from 1959 to 93, born in Columbus, Ohio. He died a couple years ago. Graham Hill was born on this day in 1929, British auto racer, Formula One world champion in 1962 and 68, born in Hampstead, London, died in 1975. 1940, John Hadle, College Football Hall of Fame quarterback at Kansas, four-time AFL All-Star, was a pro bowler in the 70s. Won an AFL championship in 63 with the San Diego Chargers. Also played for the L.A. Rams. He was bald at age 20, I think. Uh, born in Lawrence, Kansas. Died uh, last year, not too long ago. 1948, Ron Say the Penguin. Third baseman for the Dodgers. Born in Tacoma, Washington. Also played for uh, the Cubs. 1949, I like this guy. Ken Anderson, quarterback for the Bengals. Very efficient. Very... Man, he could hit a dime from 50 yards away. He was a really fun quarterback to watch. 1960, uh, Daryl Green was born. NFL cornerback for the Redskins, born in Houston, Texas. Great one. Uh, 1964, great Georgia Tech player, Mark Price. Also played in the NBA for the uh, Cavaliers, the Washington Bullets, and the Magic, born in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. Uh, A rare mention. In fact, I'm going to take a sip here for this thing. The old Burgermeister beer. A rare hockey mention on this day. It's the 51st, 51st birthday. I can't believe he's that old. Yammer Yager was born in 1972 from the Czech Republic or Czechoslovakia, I guess, at the time. Uh, let's see. He's a five-time NHL scoring champion, third-time All-Star, played for the Penguins and eight other teams, won Olympic gold for the Czechs in 98. He owns a team over there in the Czech Republic. He was born in Kladno, Czech Republic. So if he was born in 72, that was Czechoslovakia. That was not the Czech Republic at the time. Uh, let's see. Seattle Slough, the horse, was born on this day in 1974. A racehorse, the American Triple Crown winner in 1977, born in White Horse Acres Farm, Texas. Died in 2002. And finally, birthday, 1974, February 15th. Ugweth Urbina, Venezuelan pitcher for the Expos. Really good uh, pitcher for a while. Born in Caracas, Venezuela. And he may still be the only major league player of all time that has UU as his initials. Maybe somebody else has come along at that point, but I don't know. Unfortunately, some people have passed away on this day, February 15th, 1946. Uh, Here's a couple great stories. Cornelius Johnson was an American high jumper, won Olympic gold in 1936, the Berlin Olympics. Died from bronchopneumonia. He was just 32. After retiring from the high jump, he was a postman in L.A. And in 1945, he joined the U.S. Merchant Marine. But in 46, while working as a ship's baker on board the Santa Cruz, Johnson developed the bronchopneumonia en route from the ship to a California hospital. Corny Johnson died just 32 years old. 1961, Dudley Richards died. He was an American figure skater, U.S. Paris champion in 1961, a graduate of Harvard, had spent some time in the Army. He was also a real estate exec and a longtime friend and college roommate of future Senator Ted Kennedy of Massachusetts. Now, Dudley Richards was en route to the World Championships in 61 when the plane he was on, Sabina Flight 548, 
crashed near Brussels, Belgium. Once again, Belgium, they're pretending it exists. Uh, killing all on board, including the entire U.S. figure skating team. Oh, wow. Uh, let's see. Uh, he was 29 at the time of his death. Once again, proving whether you were a family, a friend, or lover of Ted Kennedy, you would meet an untimely, grisly death. Also, a few other people on that plane. Lawrence Owen, figure skater, a U.S. and North American champion. He was 16 years old. Uh, Mary Bell Vinson, American figure skater, nine-time U.S. national champ and coach, was 49. Uh, let's see. Uh, Mary Bell Yerksa Owen, figure skater, American, U.S. Paris champion, 61, died in that crash. Uh, he or she was just 20. No world and if they, too, knew Ted Kennedy. 2019, Gene Littler passed, American golfer, won the 1961 U.S. Open, 29 titles on the PGA Tour, died at 88. 2020, Tony Fernandez, Dominican shortstop, was an all-star in the 80s and 90s, won a World Series in 93 with the Blue Jays, gold glove winner, died of polycystic kidney disease. He was just 57. 2021, Vincent Jackson died, wide receiver, was a pro bowler, uh, three different times with the San Diego Chargers and the Buccaneers. Died at 38. He was found dead by a housekeeper in a room at Homewood Suites near Brandon, Florida. No apparent signs of trauma. On the 17th, two days later, the sheriff of Hillsborough County announced that Jackson's family said he may have suffered from chronic alcoholism, which contributed to his death. They also said they believed he suffered from the brain disease, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, CTE. Uh, let's see. Da, 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 ba, ba, ba. They donated his brain to Boston University. His body was cremated. They confirmed that they discovered stage two CTE. Da, 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 da. So they, but the uh, examiner in, in Florida says he died of chronic alcohol use. Mm. Uh, two weddings on this date, February fifteenth. Vince Scully in nineteen fifty eight. Uh, was 30 when he married model Joan Crawford, not the actress. She was 20 in Florida. I'm sorry, California. And, of course, I think she passed away and, uh, and he later remarried. And George Brett married on this day in 1991, uh, was 37. Talk about sowing his wild oats. Married Leslie Davenport in Manhattan Beach, California. Let's do some Pete's tweets here for you <coughs> as I cough into my sleeve. Oh, boy, I did it again. I had this all set up for you, and then I stupidly, I stupidly zapped it here. Let me find it here for you. Okay, here it is. Codify says there's only been two players in all of Major League history with the last name of Moyer, M-O-Y-E-R. They were not related. But here's the weird thing. Ed Moyer, who... Died so long ago, all they have is a black and white grainy photo of him. Ed Moyer died on the same day Jamie Moyer was born. Spooky. Spooky stuff. Let's see. Jonathan Judge says, It's Pakoda Day and your favorite baseball team is now officially underappreciated and dissed. <laughs> oh, what else we got here? Connor Olgara of Saturday Down South. With Todd Monken off to the Ravens, we could be looking at as many as 12 SEC programs with either a new QB1 and or a new offensive play caller in 2023. The lone SEC teams with the play caller quarterback one continuity, LSU and Vandy. We're going to talk a little bit more uh, coming up, too, of this. Now, if you're Todd Monken, don't you think, gosh, if I'd waited a day or two later, I could possibly have been the OC of the Eagles with Jalen Hurts. Uh, I think I'd rather have done that job, frankly. Hmm. Dennis Miller, who I haven't seen in a long time. On it, first, pretty much, Dennis Miller, uh, two or three years ago, threw his hands up and said, after Trump lost, he said, "That's it. You know, I've tried my best. No one's paying attention. My time has passed. I'm going to spend time with my family and not worry about this shit anymore." And he basically disappeared into the Santa Barbara Hills. Well, yesterday he posted this on Facebook. Now that I am fully understanding of the new NFL criteria for determining the outcome of the Super Bowl, as the last two games in essence have been heavily influenced and not to some degree decided by a forensically correct, but in the real world better not be called call that had not been made throughout the game up until that point, 
that point being approximately one minute and 50 seconds left in the game, I would like to make a futures bet that Charvarius Ward of the 49ers will be next year's unlucky recipient of said call. The NFL rulebook now makes the U.S. tax code read like a haiku. Haiku. If you don't know what haiku is, it's a Japanese poem. It's three lines, five syllables, seven syllables, five syllables. When we found these things out in like fifth grade, I, I was great at these haiku. I could do a haiku in a second. Well, probably more than that. Anyway, but Dennis Miller was not very happy with the way it ended there. All right, uh, here are the new offensive coordinators in the SEC. Tommy Reese of Alabama, Dan Enos of Arkansas, Philip Montgomery of Auburn, Mike Bobo of Georgia, Liam Cohen of Kentucky, excuse me, Kirby Moore of Missouri, Kevin Barbe of Mississippi State, Dowell Loggins of South Carolina, of the Columbia Loggins, Joey Housley of Tennessee, H-A-L-Z-L-E, and Bobby Petrino of Texas A&M. Fox Sports MLB, uh, talking a little bit more about the MLB uh, new rules. 15 seconds uh, for pitchers with the bases empty. 20 seconds with runners on base. 30 seconds in between hitters. Hitters get one timeout per plate appearances. Violations are automatic balls or strikes. So for the pitcher, it's a ball. For the hitter, the punishment would be a strike. Um, Baseball History Nut has put out a quote from Rod Carew, Hall of Famer. Billy Martin was his manager at Minnesota for a little bit. I loved Billy Martin. He taught me how to play second base, how to turn the double play. I even named him godfather to one of my daughters. And when I asked him, he cried like a baby. Uh, then Carew, to respond to that, Rod Carew tweeted uh, that uh, Martin was also the one who had the wild idea that I should steal home because he saw Robinson do it against his Yankees team so many times. Adam Schefter reporting that it's not the first time and likely won't be the last that Carolina and Indianapolis discussed prominent offensive coaching roles with ESPN analyst Dan Orlovsky before he opted to remain at the network. Dan, do not go back. You're a great broadcaster now. You're fun to listen to. You go back and do that. It's going to be a Jeff Saturday situation. Do not do that. Stay in the booth. BR Walkoff, Bleacher Report Walkoff, tweeted a photo of the new bases. They're bigger now. Uh, it looks like it looks a lot bigger than the old base. I'm just saying. It's not supposed to be that much bigger, but it is. Uh, the great P.J. O'Rourke died a year ago today. That was a shock. God, I didn't even know he was sick. Such a shame. What a great satirist. What a great writer. I I got to interview him twice. And the first time I interviewed him, it changed my life. It changed my career. Because I was no longer a sports talk show host after that. I could talk about anything I wanted after that. And uh, and um, I remember my boss Eric saying, "I never, I've seen, I heard him interviewed a hundred times. I've never heard anybody make him laugh like you did." And he goes, "You knew everything about him." I said, "I've been reading him since I was in high school. We used to, to, because uh, the teacher would take it at Parkview at Homeroom. Some guy had a, a subscription that liberal parents <laughs> had a subscription to National Lampoon, and P.J. O'Rourke was the editor. And at the time." Uh, I thought he was too wordy and it was a little above my head. But a few years later, I started rereading him again and I got it. And I started reading his books and suddenly it clicked, you know, when I was in college and and after college, it was a little too ahead of my time for high school. But what a great writer. Here's something that he wrote. Uh, Let's see if I can hear it. Name me, if you can, a better feeling than the one you get when you have half a bottle of Chivas in the bag with a gram of Coke up your nose and a teenage lovely pulling off her tube top and the next seat over while you're doing 100 miles an hour in a suburban side street. Now, I didn't do all those things at one. I wasn't doing Coke in high school. But uh, And I wasn't drinking Chivas Regal or whatever. We were drinking pretty much Old Granddad, whatever we get our hands on. But still. Once again, Raquel Welch is dead. Dadgummit. Gosh, she was beautiful. Oh, well. Never got a chance. Oh, I once... Oh, this was back in the 80s. No, 90s. It was the 90s. Early 90s. I had a rental car. I was in L.A. I had a day to kill. So I went and got one of those maps of the stars' homes. 
And I went over to Jimmy Stewart's house first and Jack Benny. They were kind of close to each other, I think. And they were pretty nice homes. You know, one floor ranch style. I think Stewart's house has been demolished since to put up a mansion over there in Beverly Hills. But it wasn't a mansion. It wasn't what you were expecting. There was no security, no fence. It was just an ordinary house. I found Humphrey Bogart's house. Oh, my God, it looked like a nice house in DeKalb County here in Georgia. It was like a nice house. and It was kind of down a little driveway with a little yard in front. And it looked like, you know, it was kind of up against a hill or something like that. But it was not too huge. And then I went over and found Raquel Welch's house, hoping she'd be outside, like, snipping the bushes or something, you know, in a little short, short. And she had a nice ranch house, but it was no big deal. And I was thinking, good Lord, you expect these, they all be in the Beverly Hillbillies mansion or something like that, but they weren't. But anyway, I, I definitely made it a point to look her up out there, but unfortunately, she was not in the street. Today in baseball history, February 15, 1916, the Yankees buy Frank Baker from the Athletics for $37,500. Frank home run Baker because he hit a couple in the World Series or something. Uh, 1931, Crescent Lake Field, the Yankee spring training site since 1925, was renamed Miller Huggins Field in honor of the team's late manager who passed away at the end of the 29th season. In 1963, the facility will become known as Huggins Stingle Field, to honor another Bronx Bomber skipper, Casey Stingle. Uh, 1946, the Phillies hired the first female Major League Scout. They signed Edith Houghton. Uh, she will sign 15 players, mostly from Philadelphia high schools. Uh, let's see. She, by the way, did from 1946 to 52, then returned to the Navy to serve her country during the Korean and Vietnam Wars. Now, Bessie Largent and her husband, Roy, worked as a team for the White Sox beginning in 1925. They signed 25 major leaguers. The most distinguished was Hall of Fame shortstop Luke Appling, who coached for the Braves for a long time or worked for him. 1946, three days before he marries the New York department store heiress Coral Gimble, Hank Greenberg comes to terms with the Tigers, signing a contract for $60,000. This after leading the American League in homers with 44, RBIs with 127 that season. The slugging first baseman threatens to retire rather than take a pay cut, prompting Detroit to trade the future Hall of Famer to the Pirates. 1973, in a national poll, Phillies lefty Steve Carlton beats out golf legend Jack Nicklaus to win the $15,000 diamond-studded gold-buckled Hickok belt, an award given to the top pro athlete of the year. Hmm. Other winners were included Willie May, Sandy Koufax, Jim Brown, Rocky Marciano, and Arnold, Arnold Palmer. 2007, the Yankees announced the team will wear black game bands. I'm, let's start over. <laughs> the Yankees will wear black armbands on the left sleeve of their unis in memory of teammate Corey Lytle, the 34-year-old right-hander, along with his flight instructor, Tyler uh, Stanger, died when their plane crashed into a 52-story high-rise apartment building in Manhattan on a rain-swept afternoon in October. Now, this is only six years after 9-11. And I remember when we, the report was, everybody's, oh, my God, someone's done it again. But no, he just, got, he just wasn't ready to fly that close to the buildings. I think they've since changed the rules about flying that close to the buildings. 2011, Stan Musial got the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Uh, the Cardinals legend joined Major Leaguers Hank Aaron, Mo Berg, Jackie Robinson, Roberto Clemente, and Ted Williams to get the most prestigious honor given to a United States citizen, civilian. And Musial deserved it. Saturday Down South, ESPN on this day, National Pastime, SI, MLB, and MetsMesmerized.com. Uh, I want to thank them for all helping me out, putting the, together this nugget of joy for you this uh, rainy afternoon. Let's look. Hopefully, there's no more sad news on Twitter, because that really sucked. I'm not seeing a lot on here. Boy, a lot of pictures of her on there. Oh, we got some power rankings from Bleacher Report walk-off. MLB power rankings. A gentleman by the name of Joel Reuter, Reuter has put this together. At number 10, your Seattle Mariners. Number 9, the Guardians. Eight Blue Jays, seven Dodgers, six Phillies, and number five Padres, number four Yankees, number three Mets. Boy, he's not kowtowing to the New Yorkers, is he? Number two, your Atlanta Braves. 
So who's number one? And probably correctly so, the Houston Astros. Hmm. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Uh, let's see. Uh, Brian Hawk reports that Glaber Torres is going to be the Yankees' starting second baseman. According to Aaron Boone, the manager, DJ LeMahieu is once again the rover. Anthony Rizzo at first and Josh Donaldson at third. Okay. I thought they'd get rid of the rovers. Anyway. There's a joke I'm going to use on uh, certain people I work with. Uh, uh, Baseball and Picks has a picture of Babe Ruth on the set of the movie, The Babe Ruth Story. And Babe Ruth is showing actor William Bendix his swing. Uh, Obviously, Bendix didn't pay too much attention because most people say he couldn't swing a bat to save his life. I'm trying to think. Thanks. Is anything else jumping out there? NFL rumor says that the Houston Texans are planning to pick a quarterback with the second overall pick. I think they're going for C.J. Stroud if he's still available. Uh, da, 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 no free agent. Uh, the Giants wide receiver Sterling Shepard is now a free agent. He can sign with any team. Wonder if he's got anything really left. Uh, they were talking about Bryce Young today on ESPN's Get Up and talking about how small he is. He is really, really, really small. Compared to other quarterbacks, whatever going to keep him here. Mike Trout says that he's going to do whatever he can do to keep Shohei Otani with the Angels. Here's my prediction: that next year in spring training, neither one of them will be in an Angels uniform. But that's just my prediction. And the Raiders say only two teams called to try and trade for Derek Carr: the Jets or and the Saints. I don't want to see him in the same division as the Falcons. I do not. I do not. Dick Hitter. All right, let's go over to ESPN and see what we got. If we got a headline we missed or something. Anyway, come on. There we go. The Chiefs in their parade say they ain't done yet. Tiger has completed 16 holes at the Genesis Pro-Am. I love watching it. It's at the Riviera Country Club. I mention this every year. They're in L.A. I'd love to play that course. If you go back and watch old movies from the literally the 1930s, 40s, 50s, there's a Humphrey Bogart movie set there. There's a whole bunch of, they said they used to see Bogart passed out drunk underneath some of the trees. But there's that club, uh, iconic clubhouse in the distance when you're coming up to the final hole. And there's a movie in the 30s or 40s called Pat and Mike, one of the uh, Spencer Tracy, Kate Hepburn, when they were fooling around with each other. And he's a trainer, and she's a, a Babe Didrikson, Zaharias, all-around female athlete. And they do golfing uh, tournaments there in the movie, and uh, they show it. And that, that country club in black and white, you can look at it and look at it now in color, and it looks almost exactly the same. They've added on a few more things, but it's just so, such an iconic backdrop to, uh, to a great uh, uh, golf course. I love to. I love watching that for some reason. Uh, no, no, no. The Rangers have held Jacob Degrom out of the first spring workout. Let's see why they did that. Probably a precaution. But thank God he's not in the division anymore. The two-time Sung Award. Uh oh, he felt tightness in his left side, and it begins. Poor Rangers. Mm. The last two seasons, he's had uh, injuries that have cut his season short. All right. Thanks to everybody for uh, paying attention. Really appreciate it. As always, follow me on Twitter, Pete Davis One. Um, you can follow the Kimmer Show now on YouTube. That's where we do it live. You can watch us, be idiots, and you can also see us on Rumble. Uh, there's no more Kimmer Show page or Kimmer page on Facebook. They kicked us off, and they can go fuck themselves for all we care. But I still have my personal page up. I don't know why it's still there, but it's there. I use it for business purposes and to keep up with old childhood friends. So that's why it's still there. Uh, what else? Uh, farmhouseprintingco.com for all your T-shirt needs, all your printing needs. And as always, appreciate all your support. If you think this is worth uh, I'll put the Venmo back on later today as well. Uh, drink up, Shriners. And uh, say a prayer for Raquel Welch.